1: Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. It is, after all, the one hour a day I spend away from my children. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 4th, the Concussion Chaos Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch, Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Navarre, Florida.
2: I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California.
0: I'm Dan Cois. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, Virginia.
1: Today, we're going to talk about concussions at energetic three-year-olds. Not exactly a perfect pair. We'll answer questions from a mom whose brain is almost feeling better, except when her little one gets a bit too loud. How can she get her daughter to comply with the necessary calmness? After that, we're going to answer questions from a non-parent who's looking for advice on being a fun ant figure for her friend's kids. We need more of her out there for sure. On our Slate Plus bonus segment, we'll be doing a rapid-fire book recommendation round for everyone who is desperate for new stories. And as always, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. So, Jamila, do you have a triumph or fail for us this week?
2: I've got a little bitty fail this week. Nothing too bad. So, Naima and my mother are very close, uh, which is something I absolutely love. And my mom, who lives in Chicago, where I'm from, she has a nice little one-bedroom apartment. You know, my mom has nice taste. It's well-decorated. But it's very much a pretty standard apartment. Naima... Talks about my mom's home as if it is the Palace of Versailles, like, <laughs> and it kind of tickles me. Um, and it it's interesting because I can do nothing to uh, dazzle her. Like it, as hard as I've worked, every wall in this house there are no white walls in my home. Every wall is pink, yellow, there's flowers, there's wallpaper, there's paintings, there's all this stuff. And it just does not uh, really register to my daughter uh, relative to my mother's house. And so the other day she was telling a story about something that happened on one of our last visits to grandma's house. I'd snuck and let her have some Doritos. She's like, so I'm just sitting there and I've got Doritos on my hands and Doritos around my mouth on grandma's luscious couch. And I just <laughs> lost it when she said that because I've never heard anyone describe a couch as luscious before. And it turns out this was grandma's old couch because I'd bought her a couch for her birthday last year and um, it was delivered the day after we left. And so she was like, so this wasn't even the new couch. This was her old couch, but still her luscious beautiful couch. And I'm just sitting there eating Doritos. And so my fail was my inability to pull it together when she said grandma's luscious couch.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought your fail was going to be that she ruined the couch with Doritos so bad that the next day your mom got a new couch.
2: <laughs> no, uh, I think that I allowed her to eat Doritos on the couch because it was getting ready to leave the next day anyway.
0: When you lose it at something that Aima says, what is her response? Does she does she think, oh, I said something funny that my mom likes or does she get pissed off?
2: I guess it depends on what she feels about what she's saying. Like, if she's really riled up, you know, and I start laughing, she'll, you know, you know what? You just don't, you know, you don't get it. You just don't understand me. And she might like storm off or, you know, ball up her fist and get upset. But usually if I lose it, she loses it too. This time I hid to a certain extent. So I just said, oh, that's so
1: different. That's such a unique way. (laughs) That's such a unique way of describing a couch. She was like, "Mm mm-hmm. That's what you have to go write down in your one line a day book. That's right. (laughs) So
2: I did. I I wrote it down. I wrote it down for, I have a file of Naima quotes, but I'd also put it down for the show this week. But as a small update to last week's recommendation, Elizabeth, the site where you can make the memory books by texting them a daily memory, I have been doing that. So I'm waiting for them to ask me the right questions so I could say, well, Naima was sitting on grandma's luscious couch. And then... <laughs>
1: That's perfect. And yes. I think it was we Dan's have a million fails like that because
0: Harper and Lyra both fucking hate it. When we crack up at some malapropism that they toss out there, they just, they're like so offended that we would find them funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Dan, triumph or fail this week?
0: I have a snow triumph this week. We had our first real snow of the season this weekend, like lots of folks on the East Coast. It's actually the first real snow in several years. The last snowstorm we had here in Virginia was the one that drove me insane and led me to force my kids to travel around the world with me for a year. That was back in 2016. You know, it wasn't huge, but we ended up with like a solid six or seven inches of snow here. And so I actually have two related triumphs. The first small one is that this is the first time I think in probably 10 years that I have viewed a coming snowstorm with like anticipation and happiness rather than just incandescent rage (laughs) about how they're going to fucking cancel school and it's going to ruin my life. So I guess that's sort of an upside of remote school. (laughs) I told Alia this and she was like, yeah, I mean, now we just feel rage about school every day, all the time. So you can't isolate the reasons for your rage. But I also have a second very practical triumph that I'm very proud of. Uh, Harper really, really likes playing in the snow. She's always loved it. She still loves it, but it has been so long since we've had snow that none of her snow pants fit her anymore. And I just really put off buying her new ones. Cause who, you know, climate change, is it ever going to snow again? We don't know. They're so expensive. It's such a pain. She'd probably grow out of them. So anyways, all of a sudden on Thursday, we've got this forecast coming up for the weekend of a bunch of snow And Harper's already starting to make plans with her various friends for sledding and playing and making snow angels and stuff. And I'm like, fuck, she doesn't have any snow pants. The only snow pants we have are Alia's snow pants, which are, you know, grown woman snow pants. So when Harper puts them on, they just just slide right down her legs uh, like a cartoon man uh, (laughs) whose belt has, has snapped. So I'm like, all right, no problem. We live in the age of instant distribution and procurement. I will find some at a store. Someone has planned ahead and is ready for this. Target, nope. REI, nope. Dick's Sporting Goods, nope. Amazon, there are no snow pants anywhere on Amazon, except for one pair of Snoga pants that are $275. I do (laughs) not buy those. There's no place that will deliver these in time because everyone else had the same problem I had, which is that they needed snow pants ASAP. I was like, fuck, I have ruined it. The only snow pants I can buy online are will be delivered to me on March 3rd or <laughs> But then I realized Harper doesn't need new pants. I'm sitting there on the couch with Ali and I'm like, oh, what she needs is like stretchy straps that like they <laughs> hold up your pants so they're like overalls. And Alia goes, uh suspenders. suspenders? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, yeah. And boom. There are a bunch of (laughs) suspenders available for next day delivery on Amazon. I purchased them. They're 20 bucks. Harper wore them with Alia's snow pants all day on Saturday, all day on Sunday. She's outside in the driveway right now with Shira. I can see her from this window playing in her snow pants with the suspenders. She's having a great time. And I feel like I really pulled this one right out of a hat at the last second.
1: I love it
2: you absolutely did that was brilliant <laughs> alia was the one who came up with it so shout out to her but
1: what?
2: What, um, no? Well, no you invented i would have susp- come to
0: it eventually
2: you invented suspenders so actually within a just, week or
0: two i would have yes. developed suspenders at home yes using, yeah.
2: joint credit i have to admit this is the first time in my life that i have considered the existence of snow pants for people who are not small children I'm yeah. aware of ski, I guess I've thought of ski gear, you know, like things that you were wearing to go skiing. I don't know why I am from Chicago. I've spent yes. most of my <laughs> life living in places where there was snow, right? I don't think it ever occurred to me that I too could have had snow pants <laughs> and been less cold and wet.
0: Uh, I'd like to ask our producer, Rosie, who's currently in the Wisconsin Northwoods.
3: Do you have Surely snow everyone
0: pants? in your family has adult snow pants, right?
3: Uh, no, actually, we don't. God damn it. What? We still like do all the stuff outside. We just layer up. Yeah. No,
0: you just, you're too tough.
3: <laughs> we just layered up.
0: <laughs> Anyways, I'm definitely going to borrow Harper's suspenders for some formal occasion and hike my pants up to my armpits.
1: Suspenders, good for so many things.
0: It's, uh, it's, let's assume everyone that I believe everyone should own suspenders at this point.
1: Well, I have like a Florida man story for my. Triumph for the week. So I took the kids down to the beach. We had kind of some cold weather coming in and a storm. So the waves were pretty good. Took the kids. Oh, yeah. To was do it the... in the 50s? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we Aww. got to the 30s at night. It was, <laughs> but yeah. So we were at the 50s, still like with our little hats on, um, shelling because the winter is kind of the time for um, great shells here due to ocean currents and all the stuff. So so my kids have always been like over and the pandemic has o- only made that worse. So we're on the beach and they will basically um, speak to and by speak to, I mean, scream through their masks at anybody else on the beach, um, which is not, you know, in the summer it was like packed in the winter, there's nobody there. So there's probably like four or five other adults shelling. They are like screaming at these people about what they found. And this woman was sort of like, this is my first time shelling and I haven't found anything My actual triumph is that Henry then dug into his bucket to find like this really, really nice little conch shell type thing. I'm sure that's not actually what kind of shell it is, but I know nothing about shells and like kind of threw it at this woman for her to have. And she was just like so overjoyed and and they collected a lot of shells, but he legitimately gave her the best shell that he had found that day. And I just thought like, oh my gosh, he is actually an okay human, like in this moment. <laughs> so that, you know, some, I worry about that a lot. So he um, had given up the shell. And then of course my other two boys seeing this also offered up shells from their bags, which was very sweet. But as we're walking down and they're talking to these people, there's like fishing lines, like way out into the Gulf and then a like kayak. And so Henry is like engaging with the just most Florida looking man you have ever seen like no shirt on um, and it's, it's not warm. And he's got <laughs> these like kind of waders on. It turns out this is this man's birthday and he has come out for his birthday to shark fish and they take out these like cow heads into the ocean on hooks. And I'm at the sorry,
0: cow heads, heads. Yeah. Like like hook, the head of a cow. Yes.
1: They kayak them out there and they drop them out onto these hooks. And this man Ha- is like, as he's talking to Henry, is like reeling something in. And Henry's like, what's on the end? And he's like, well, it's definitely a shark. It'll be about 20 minutes. And Henry is like, we have to stay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Jeff's not with us, but I'm thinking, well, Jeff would also be like, we have to stay. So we kind of shell a little bit around the area. And then this man like hands off to his buddy, the reel. And he just like pulls kind of with your suspender plan over yeah. his bare chest, his... um suspenders and he, he wades out into the ocean and sure enough here is this tiger shark and he gets on its back and they undo the hook and <laughs> they, they measure Christ. it and they take a bunch of pictures and then he slaps it on the tail and it swims away <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking what the fuck is happening like wh- why? why why
0: so why? that shark got to eat a whole Cowhead. I mean... Get its picture taken and then go on its merry way.
1: Well, when you but put it that way, Dan... it was, like, harassed yes. by this shirtless <laughs> Florida man for his birthday. It's, like,
0: if I, you're a Florida shark, you just... That's just...
1: That's I just
0: Thursday, man. It
1: was something else, but I do have this picture of this man sitting on his... The back of this sh- shark, and my kids, we get into the car, and Henry was like, well, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like
0: yep is, they're gonna talk yeah. about that forever like this is gonna be a family <laughs> it was, lore it
1: was very for 25 years weird and cool in florida and i was glad you know honestly i was glad they released it i wasn't really yeah. sure what happened to a caught shark but did they okay so the cow hit Is there
2: any preparation involved in this? Is it skinned? (laughs) Is it just, is it cooked? Is it just chopped off? I believe
1: it is just like a cat. I don't know. It's large enough that they have to kayak it out there. And the hook was really large. I I didn't actually see, because when we arrived at the beach, all of the lines, they had four lines from their tent, were like way far out in the ocean.
0: Rest in peace, four cows.
1: Where did they get the cow heads? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I mean, I assume you just get him at the fishing store in Florida. <laughs> yeah. There's like the cooler with know. worms and then there's the know. cooler with cowheads. It's a much larger cooler.
1: <sighs> so those are the things happening on Navarre Beach in the winter. There Great
0: go. story. <laughs> I absolutely story. love it. And I got a new idea for how to wear my suspenders.
1: There you go. Well, before we move on to business, if you remember that last week we advised a listener who was fed up that she couldn't do outdoor activities anymore with her little one. Well, quite a few lovely listeners wrote in to commiserate, and we wanted to highlight one particular letter.
0: Yeah, we're going to highlight one letter uh, with some really great practical, inspirational advice, I thought, from a listener named Ellen. Ellen wrote, This letter could 1,000% have been me. I've seen a lot of friends with young kids change the type of outdoor activities they do post-kids. No more backcountry camping, but going to organize state parks instead because they seem easier. But this is a huge mistake. Because if you love the feeling of being in the wilderness, a crowded campground with cars nearby isn't going to do it for you, even if you're still sleeping in a tent. The way we have found to stay sane and still enjoy things is to change the duration and intensity, but not the type of activity. Example, we took our seven-month-old and three-year-old backpacking once, so far, and we chose a route where we only had to cover three or so miles per day, which the three-year-old was able to do. It allowed tons of time to explore on her schedule and made it possible for us to carry the very heavy packs required, but still allowed us to get out into the real wilderness, The bottom line is, don't feel like you have to do the boring kid version of these activities, because you don't. You can just do 20% of the distance, for example, but it's still possible to do the things you loved, unless it's skydiving or something. Don't lose hope. It's okay if they complain or even cry at times. Celebrate the huge challenge and reward their effort, resilience. Tell stories of when you also cried on the top of a mountain or whatever. I also strongly agree that ice cream should come after every outing. Thank you, Ellen. That is a great letter, and I particularly love the note, it is okay if they complain. That is something that I struggled with a lot when we started doing outdoorsy things with our kids after a quiet first 11 years of never going outside at all. As a parent, I think I often, in situations like this, think of complaining as a sign of my failure, but in fact it is just a natural response to shit that sucks, but also totally fine in a circumstance where eventually they will get through the complaining and find things to like about it. And you don't have to view that as a judgment on your parenting necessarily.
1: I thought this was great advice. So, <laughs> the only the only problem is that she didn't mention geocaching. She,
0: right. She we, I mean, that, luckily we have a Facebook thread going crazy for geocaching that Elizabeth has made her full-time job over the last <laughs> yeah, to week.
1: To promote geocaching. <laughs> oh, Ellen, we're so glad that you wrote in. And for everybody else that sent us some messages, keep sending in your feedback and keeping us updated. We love that. So now, Mom
0: and dad at Slate.com.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's important. So without further ado, we are on to the business. In Slate Plus today, we noticed a lot of people on the Facebook group are looking for book recommendations. And so you're in luck. We have tons of news stories, suggestions that cover a variety of topics. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you are a member of Slate Plus. The other is The Train to Impossible Places by P.G. Bell. Again, funny, but also kind of mystery, really engaging, great family read-alouds.
0: I second those opinions. Those are both books and series that my kids have loved. I would also suggest Swindle by Gordon Corman, or basically anything by Gordon Corman, probably the funniest children's book author of all time.
1: If you like to hear segments like this, plus get ad-free podcasts, you can sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to support your favorite Slate podcasts, like Mom and Dad are Fighting, and you won't hit a paywall on the site, so you can keep up with all of Slate's journalism. If you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, you can go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. You won't want to miss Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about everything Slate publishes about parenting, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, Ask a Teacher, Karen Feeding, much, much more. It's a really fun personal email from Dan each week, and you can sign up for that at slate.com slash parenting email. If you, too, are looking for a place to connect with other parents, particularly during the pandemic you can come on over to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. It's really active. There's lots of variety of questions. We also moderate it so it doesn't get too out of control. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook and make sure you answer those questions. And before you know it, you'll have a group of people to discuss parenting with. All right, let's hear our first listener question. It's being read by the magnificent Shasha Leonard.
3: Hi, Mom and Dad. A year ago, I hit my head pretty bad. Playing soccer, I somehow bashed my head on the concrete wall that is part of the indoor court. I had a goose egg turn double black eyes that drained down my face for the next several months. I have a daughter, and the sometimes shrieky, energizer bunny energy of a three-year-old was hard for my brain to handle in a concussed state. I'm pretty much healed up now, but still flinch at certain types of noises and things being flung at me, both of which equal headaches. She's just being a perfectly curious, exploratory, excited, and emotional tiny person, and I want to support her in doing that. But then there's the scream crying. My spouse and I have never brushed away emotions, and experience has taught us that trying to shut it down makes the noise louder and last longer. We've tried talking to her about mama's head, but as we all know, children aren't reasonable. How can I keep up emotionally supportive parenting practices without losing my mind? What is an acceptable boundary here? And how do I get her to comply? Thanks. Desperate for a dark hole to crawl into.
0: All right. This is a tough situation. um, And it's a tough situation you've been living with for quite some time. So there's two separate issues here, right? There's the playing issue and there's the screaming issue. I'm going to talk about the playing issue because I have good advice for that and don't have any good advice for the screaming issue. So I hope you guys do. Uh, So on playing... You need to establish if you haven't already established the beginnings of the long process of reinforcing quiet, calm activities with this child and making sure that when you're doing those activities one on one with her, you're really, really super connected and focused and extra loving and sweet to her during those moments to reinforce, at least for now, that this is something that. She gets a lot of joy and pleasure out of and a lot of really focused attention from you. That is going to be what encourages her to keep doing these things with you, to do the kind of quiet play, maybe in semi-darkness, that is best for you right now. And then when your daughter has those big bursts of three-year-old energy, I think you will feel less guilty about withdrawing as you need to. I will say that It's going to be incumbent upon your spouse to take charge at those times when they can. And I want to really urge you not to feel guilty about for some time in, you know, over the course of the next year or so. You are the quiet play person and they are the loud play person. That doesn't have to be a forever role that each of you play. You are clearly an active person who, you know, loves playing sports and stuff like that. And eventually that can return to your life along with your child. And so it just becomes a matter of really reinforcing through connection and love and attention that this is the kind of play that is best for you guys to engage in right now and giving yourself space when you need to give yourself space. And the more you do that, the more it creates that feedback loop that for a three-year-old reads as, oh, this is what I love doing with this person the most. And that will really help. It won't solve it all the time, but it will really help. On screaming, it's a lot tougher. For a lot of people, the best way to deal with a tantrum is to just let them scream themselves out. But you don't want to deal with that when your head is pounding. So I'd really love to hear what you guys think about that.
2: Part of the ongoing conversation that you're going to have to have with your daughter about what mommy's head requires is that you are sensitive to sound. And so while tantrums are natural, I mean, it is possible that She can even adapt the ways that she is acting out. A three-year-old is old enough to have a concept of, this is a thing that hurts mommy, and I'm going to try to avoid hurting her. Talk about what it feels like in as close to three-year-old words as you possibly can um, for you to have those headaches from uh, hearing loud noises she should see you remove yourself, right? Or for there to be some sort of production of, you know, if she's having a tantrum and your spouse is there, that, you know, you depart the room, that this is something that you are not able to deal with. I will say as a migraine sufferer and as somebody who has experienced with chronic pain um, and other physical and mental challenges that I've had to share with my child from a very young age, You'd be surprised at how sensitive to those things they can be, but it's something they have to constantly be reminded of. The the visible injury is oftentimes, you know, it's jarring and it, it helps kids contextualize something. The unseen, you know, pain can be very difficult for kids to process, but you just can't let them forget it. If she's hearing about it constantly, it becomes a part of her awareness. And it also may be wise to invest in a pair of inexpensive, um, you know, noise canceling headphones, right, that you can grab when she's having a tantrum that would still allow you to communicate with her. You'll still hear some of the tantrum, right? You'll still be able to uh, talk to her about what's going on, but it won't be nearly as bad.
1: If you're putting on those headphones, that's a good reminder to your three-year-old, like, this is getting too loud for me, even if you kind of see it coming. Um We have had a lot of issues with kind of volume level and emotional regulation. And something that has really helped is that we drew out this chart on the wall that was kind of, you know, one through five, and then drew faces for what each of those kind of look like, like very cartoony, and then assigned what the appropriate responses. So like a five was like, you're in danger, the house is on fire. And a four was like, you're injured, you know, and then a three was like, you are really frustrated about something and bringing them over to the chart and saying like what i'm seeing and hearing is a five but the house is not on fire Mm. where we need to be at a three because i think that says like it's still okay that you're crying and that you're upset but this level that you're at here is just too much and i always think too with these things like having a visual tool for in the moment is good But I think visiting these when there's not screaming is also important. The other thing is that your partner can have your child practice outside what a five is and how that feels and how loud that is. So that when you say to them, you're at a five and and we really need you to be at a three, you know, because it hurts mommy's ears. But also because that's the appropriate response to this frustration that they have some kind of baseline for that. I think, you know, something that I think everyone has mentioned is that it's also okay to remove yourself. Like if if your health requires you to leave, there are ways, even if you are alone with the child, to remove yourself so that you are also safe and your child is safe and you're not abandoning them. You know, you can use your words to say, I see that you're upset, but I can't stay here with you because it hurts me. So I'm going to go here and you sit here. I can still see you. You're still safe. Can we get you some water? Like what are these steps that they can do? I also wanted to suggest a um, like little calm down kit of sensory things, a sensory bottle, which is we made ours with just like a water bottle and some glitter and glue and things like that. I really like those for the kids and we shake them up when they're really upset and then we kind of watch them settle. And again, it's just kind of like this visualization of inside and how they're feeling, but also an opportunity to kind of breathe it down and watch it. And having that basket or that group of items might also be an opportunity to give your child those and give yourself some space.
0: That's uh, really good advice. I love that one through five frustration and anger Mm -hmm. chart. The only other thing I would like to add is for this letter writer, I, I certainly hope that you are checking in with your doctor about your post-concussion syndrome. In general, the rule of thumb is if you're still feeling symptoms after you know three months after the concussion, you should definitely be getting some kind of treatment. So a year is a long time. So if you are not talking to a doctor about it, make sure you talk to a doctor about it.
1: Well, good luck, and we hope you continue to feel better, and we'd love to hear an update on how it's going for you and your family. If you have a question for us, you can email us at com or post it in the Slate Parenting Facebook group.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at progressive.com to try the name your price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Now, on to our second question. Shasha, take it away.
4: Dear mom and dad,
3: I'm a single female professional who just turned 30. As is to be expected at this age, many of my friends are starting to have children. I have never been super interested in young children or had much experience with them, though I've coached middle school girls in lacrosse for many years. My question is, how can I support my friends in the new parent phase of life? And how can I start being a fun adult figure in their kids' lives? Sincerely, never been that into kids
2: so i love this question i feel like we've gotten various iterations of it here and certainly at care and feeding over the past two years and i appreciate it every time i will say especially as someone who was at 28 the first out of my circle of girlfriends but like i felt so isolated and you know you may be having the opposite experience where you could be the odd man out for not having a child but In terms of social activity, like once I was able to, you know, get out and about, I would look on Instagram and be like, oh, they did a thing tonight and they didn't invite me. Right. And so one big thing is not assuming that your friends don't want to still engage with you like they used to on some level. Right. Like don't assume that everything is now about the kids. I would imagine that many of them, if not all of them, would really love to have you being a presence in the kids' lives. And it's not necessarily about having some sort of skill or trick or something special that you bring to the table. You know, it, it's being around. It's being a person that they know. Um I found that my child, I think part of the reason that she's so sophisticated and, and inquisitive is because she spent a good amount of time around adults. Like, be the friend who's willing to go have the brunch with the baby. Like, you know, pick up the bottle off the floor when they tossed it. You know, roll your eyes at the person who rolled their eyes at the screaming kid uh, next to you guys in the restaurant. Make yourself available to be present for things that are already happening. You know, from if you need an extra hand on a doctor's visit or if you want to make a Costco run or, you know, hey, I know you guys hang out at the park on 53rd Street. I, you know, would love to stop by on my way from work and maybe kind of just cool out with you all for a little while. And then also, you know, suggest perhaps that there are things that you have noticed that your friend is not doing any more that they used to like to do, right? Like, I don't know what social activity is supposed to look like anymore. So I'm just making it up as I go along, but like, hey, let's drive somewhere. And I play those cool tunes from the back of my car and we park with a blanket. I think that's a picnic, right? Like suggesting a picnic.
0: Suspenders.
2: Suspender, (laughs) right? See, okay, you're not alone here, Dan. I get it, I get it. This is is what the world is doing to us. We're, yeah, I get it now. And then in terms of you really building that bond with the child, When you're there, engage them in conversation. There's a good chance. I know I'm rambling a little bit because I'm like, yes, please. Oh, my God. Do more of this. This is what, you know, childless adults should do. It's a beautiful thing and it's beautiful for everybody. Right. Like these will be the kids that take care of you. You know, if you don't have children of your own, like at some point, these may be the children that look after you, you know, that that support you. So all that to say, yes, this is a very important thing that you're doing. And I'm proud of you. Thank you on behalf of all the moms and dads and gender non-binary parents.
0: Seven words. I got seven words for this letter writer. I'm bringing over dinner. Let's hang out. That's all you need. You show up at 530. You got a shitload of food. You're there to hang out and eat. And the most important thing for you to remember, I think, that I really want to amplify from what Jamila said is, Your friend wants to see you and wants to connect with you and your friend also wants you to connect with their child. Both those things are important to your friends and you can very easily provide those things. It's not hard to connect with a baby or connect with a little kid, especially when they're not your baby or not your little kid. And the instant they start crying or misbehaving, you just hand them right back to the actual parent. So if you do that, Every couple of months for your friend, you will be the best child-free friend that they have. I absolutely guarantee it. You will maintain and solidify that relationship in a way that will be meaningful to you. And I know you're worried about, am I going to be able to bond with this kid? You know, I don't have a lot of experience with kids. I'm not even that interested in kids in general. But a great rule of thumb is that you don't have to be interested in kids in general. Kids in general are not that interesting. But specific kids who you spend time with and get to know are interesting, and that's all you have to do.
1: I feel like you guys really covered it. I have two things to add, which is first that as your friends start to have kids know that particularly in the beginning, their silence is not them saying they don't want to be friends with you. And like Dan said, the biggest thing that you can do is say... I'm coming over and there's so much chaos and figuring things out in those early days that you almost have to be pushy and just say, how can I be there? How can I drop something off or just do it? The other biggest thing you could do is compliment them all the time and tell them they're doing an amazing job. because something. <laughs> yes. Something that parents do not get is anyone saying, I see what you're doing and you're doing a great job particularly if you are the person hanging out when they've just been vomited on or the kid's screaming or or whatever that scenario is that if you are a really good friend, my best friend forever, Mary, um, has no children of her own. And this is the thing she does for me is that every time she calls, she is like, even if we haven't talked in forever, like, oh, I saw this thing that you did, you know, that you post on social media or her and Jeff also talk. And she'll be like, or Jeff told me this thing like, she just says, what an amazing parent you are, like how lucky for these kids to be able to do this. Or I'm so glad you get, you know, that you're that you're doing this for them, whether she believes that or not, it doesn't really matter. It is probably the greatest thing she does for me as a friend. And then and also boosting my kids like she reflects that same thing back to them of just saying, like, I saw you did this cool thing. She's invested in the kids, but it's not like she does anything particularly special with them. Like, yes, she volunteers to take them to the park and things, but she's interested in them because she is my friend and therefore kind of knows about their lives and engages with them that way. And I just think that is probably one of the best things you can do to build that relationship is just to be there and be positive in a time in life when most other people who interact with your friends will have something to say about how they're doing it wrong. So if you can be there to be their support. And you guys just gave such other wonderful tips about how to be there and volunteer. And if you are inclined, like always offer to take the kids. That well, is I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously. If you want to really rock star to the top, right. just offer to take the kids as often as possible.
2: <laughs> this is the hardest job that your your parent friends have probably ever done. And it is unpaid largely. We are paid in love. Yep, so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> also barf, don't forget barf, we're paid in barf.
2: And barf, and and a lot more work, right? Like, yes, there's so much love, there's so much goodness, but there's so much work, there's so much work, and it is more often than not, thankless. You don't start getting like really great thank yous from your kids until they're like five, six, seven, and they're still- What?
0: Five,
1: they're <laughs> yeah, still- no. and,
0: I was and gonna say like then, 32.
1: Right. When they have their own children.
2: <laughs> when they have their own children. And it's often the silence thank you that they say to themselves as they wallow in the labor, labor, labor. But no, you you get the okay you get moments of hearing thank you from your children by the time they're five where it's really sweet, you know, and they're able to like offer like sincere gratitude for something, but more often than not, you're just like busting your entire app my child is not in my her teacher just texted me please send my girl back so i'm going to step aside and go yell at my kid real quick but um because she's not in zoom class can we just okay can i just no judgment zone if they had a second grade ged program i swear to god (laughs) like if you could if the like if you could enroll next year, like it's no big deal. Like you could just start school again. But they were like, yeah, if she could just take this second grade test real quick, like she can have and it'll be on her permanent transcript forever, second grade GED. But like she can go to regular third grade. Sign me up. It's called homeschool. <laughs> you're right I thought you know what we have to I mean, or you, you can, can just be like I got a book contract school. to travel
0: around the world and I'm gonna be gone yeah. for the rest of the year but don't worry uh-huh. my kids will be going to school in the places we are don't oh my you God.
2: worry that's I'm doing that I'm doing we're, we're doing cultural anthropology in Beverly Hills um so yeah anyway and then you can just
1: put them back in school
2: that's
0: no it one, no one from no Los way. Angeles schools be listening to this podcast right now
2: literally no way there's totally no way Um, but, uh, to our, our dear letter writer, sorry about that. Um, I I just wanted to add hearing you're doing great is the best feeling that you could possibly get because you're not going to get thank you. So just being reminded that you're doing a good job, all affirmation, all praise, like poured into our veins. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go, uh, get my second grade dropout.
1: Well, listener, I hope that helps. And I can already say that just by asking this question, you are already on your way to being a wonderful auntie or whatever you want to be called, your majesty, to all of these wonderful children that your friends are having. So other listeners, whether you're parents or not, if you have a conundrum or would just like some advice, you can email us at com or post in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Okay. So now we are doing recommendations. Dan, what do you have for us this week?
0: I'm recommending a uh, brand new company that, uh, full disclosure, is run by an old college friend of mine, Shelly Butler. She's an acclaimed theater director who's directed all over the country and regionals and in New York. She and her husband have created this new company called Artistic Stamp. And it's both pretty innovative and also a little bit hard to describe. But here is my try. It's interactive theater that you do through the mail. So uh, there are a number of plays that have been written by playwrights that have sort of broad storylines. But the interpretation of the play is left up to actors and it's done by the actor sending you a letter in the mail and then you writing back to the actor. So the actor playing a character writes you a letter, you write back to that character, and then your interaction over the course of a couple of letters makes up the play that you are enjoying. Um, So it's well suited to coronavirus times when we can't go to live theater. Um, They have them for all ages, including for adults. I think the real sweet spot for this is like maybe ages 9 to 13. The letters are a little bit magical. They're a little bit spooky, and it's they're fun to get. They're beautifully illustrated and laid out, and uh, the actors who are doing these roles are clearly putting their all into it. Um, Harper and Lyra are doing one of these plays, for lack of a better term right now, They've really enjoyed getting these letters about this great adventure that they're being recruited to participate in because the world is in danger. And then they write back like, yeah, well, how do we know you're actually a magical creature? And then the (laughs) actor playing this role has to figure out how to deal with that. It's very enjoyable for me as well. Once again, it's called Artistic Stamp. You can find it at artisticstamp.com. And I find it very charming. And I hope that this company succeeds because I think it's a great idea.
1: That sounds so fun. And a good way to sneak in some uh, writing practice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jamila, what do you have for us this week? So I am recommending press on
2: nails. Listen, no industry has stepped up to meet the needs of this moment. Like the people who make press on nails. If you had told me That in 2021... I would be wearing press on nails. Press on nails were a lesson I learned very quickly, very early in life. They were a ridiculous proposition. They do not work. They're, you know, like they were when we were kids, like, you know, you try this as a teenager. I, I feel like, you know, most kids that were into, you know, nails try press on nails and acrylics. And I tried the at-home version. I tried them both and they were horrific. Like there's nothing worse than like, especially back then they were probably in like three colors so one of them is like red so you've got like one missing red fingernail right I I am endorsing uh press on nails as this as if I'm not missing a fingernail as my uh colleagues can see today and yet and yet replacing that fingernail that came off while I was washing dishes last night will be so much easier like a part of my for, you know performance uh, uh you know of myself was stripped away with for me during uh, the pandemic. And I'd seen other folks say, you know, wow, press on nails have really come a long way. They're really good. And I just could not believe it. I was like, I refuse, there's no way. They were literally garbage. They're like, they don't fit the size of your nail. I don't know what they've done. It's so easy. It's so quick. It's so inexpensive. There's so many, in fact, there are even like some of the like top nail folks are like selling, you know, press ons that you can buy or, and if not a press on nail, um, uh, but like a, a nail wrap, right. With like just the color.
1: I've been using the wrap, the like sticker wraps and they're amazing because I like yeah. my nails real short, Um, but same thing. I like to go get them done in the before times and i cannot believe that i can put these on and you can like put three on and deal with something and come yes, back and put the rest yes, on
2: that's like that is so <laughs> much different than having t-
1: dan get get harper this in here important. i'm sure she has an opinion she
0: has a lot to say about
2: so yeah haven't tried the wraps yet they're next but i will say like i tried the like Kiss brand, like the super inexpensive, available at Target, available at Amazon, available at Walgreens. Like I got the short ones and they're super natural
1: length and like easy to take off. I'm just in love. I know. I don't know what happened, but some somebody somewhere developed something amazing recently. And just, just in time. time to meet. What a hero. Needs. What a hero. <laughs> Well, I I'm recommending something that doesn't pair well with press <laughs> on nails, but it's Crazy Aaron's Super Putty. If you listen to the Christmas episode, you heard that we like can't do slime because it's always a disaster. So this is like a really nice kind of textured play. It comes in all kinds of fun. They have ones that smell. They have ones that change color as they get hot and cold. They have some that glow in the dark, like all kinds of stuff. It was recommended to me um, by my child's um, therapist to like work out the hand muscles, but it turned turns out all the kids like it. It doesn't um, ever like harden or really stick to things that well. So that's really nice. Um, you have to watch it around like fabric and things. But in general, the, the play is not messy, which I love. And they can play with it and it stores in a tin. And you are sure to find something that you like. And it's been a great little like hand it to the four-year-old to play with at the table or when someone's driving me crazy. So that's um, Crazy Aaron Super Putty comes in all kinds of smells and textures. Well, that's it for our show. But a quick reminder, if you want our advice, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out and make sure that you never miss an episode. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson, June Thomas is senior managing producer, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts and Gabrielle Roth is Slate's Editorial Director of Audio. For Jamila Lemieux and Dan Poist, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp.